0: Well, amen. I invite you to turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 1 this morning. Luke chapter 1, it's uh, been a joy to worship with you, and I detect uh, your spirit to praise the Lord and rejoice in our Savior Christ. Uh, that is a tremendous privilege for us this morning. Luke chapter 1, if you are turning there. I want to start off the sermon by asking you a question. Uh, Have you ever noticed how many people are announcing pregnancies on Facebook these days? I don't know if you've uh, picked up on the same thing. Uh, It seems that this is the best way to announce to the world uh, that you are expecting. I mean, uh, can we even remember how people announced pregnancies before Facebook? Uh, Maybe they just figured it out sooner or later or something. Uh, Well, in the last few weeks alone, I've seen it scrolled, as i scrolled across the page on, you know, uh, people have used signs and chalkboards and calendars to declare that they were expecting. Believe it or not, I did a little research this week, and you can use uh, paper clips, pumpkins, safety pins, baby shoes, and road signs to declare or break the news to others as well. If you actually aren't a very creative person at all, you can always just post the standard, you know, the standard ultrasound picture, put that on Facebook, or better yet, you can Google it and find an article entitled, The 25 Best Ways to Announce Pregnancies on Facebook. Um, you probably didn't know that even existed. Well, you know, as you go throughout the scriptures, the births of extraordinary people are often or were often announced in extraordinary ways. One of the most supernatural ways that this was announced was when someone's birth was actually predicted months before from heaven itself. This week, as I was studying in preparation for our sermon on Luke 1, I went through both the Old and the New Testament. I saw that there were four occasions in the Old and the New Testament where someone's birth was predicted by either an angel or by God himself. First, uh, and actually of these four, two are found in the Old Testament and two in the New Testament. The first one I came across this week was in Genesis 17 and 18, where God announces Isaac's upcoming birth to his father Abraham. Remember the story, Abraham was well advanced in years, perhaps beyond childbearing years himself, but Uh, And his wife also was barren. Yet God announced that Isaac would be born and that from his seed, God would deliver his people, Israel. The second one I came across was in Judges 13. You might write it down and do a little research this week. In Judges 13, this one is perhaps a little less well-known. A man named Manoah and his wife were barren. They were living during a time in which the Israelite people were doing wicked in the eyes of the Lord. That's when an angel of the Lord went to Manoah and his wife and informed them that they would soon give birth to a son who would be called a Nazarene, meaning that he would be a a representative of God devoted completely to him and that this young son would deliver Israel from the Philistines. That child was born, and his name was Samson. And eventually, God used Samson to deliver Israel. Well, the other two heavenly announcements of conception are both found in Luke chapter 1. These two announcements are so important for Luke that after his introduction, he starts out with them. They're very important narratives, and he actually tells of the birth prediction of two boys who will be related and separated only by a few months in birth. So Luke chapter one describes the birth of John and Jesus. John the Baptist and Jesus Christ. And throughout this chapter, In Luke chapter 1, starting from verses 5 through 25, you can see the birth of John the Baptist foretold. But then in verses 26 through 38, you can see the birth of Jesus Christ foretold. And and what I noticed as I was reading over these chapters this week is that Luke interweaves their stories, he weaves their stories together. For these two men, their lives will be interrelated in amazing ways. You can see that they're interrelated. Look at Luke chapter 1 and verse 13. Look at the very end of verse 13. Luke 1:13. And you shall call his name John. Now look at the end of verse 31. Verse 13, verse 31. Look at the end of verse 13. And you shall call his name Jesus. Exact same form, different name, different prediction. As a matter of fact, at the beginning of the prediction of Jesus in in his birth, in verse 26, it says in the sixth month. Gabriel will go on to tell this, this amazing uh, prediction of Jesus, but that marker, sixth month, is during the sixth month of the pregnancy of John the Baptist's mother. The stories are woven together. As I came across these stories and read them this week. I found many similarities between these two birth predictions First, in both predictions, the angel Gabriel is the one who announces the birth. Second, in both of the predictions, I see that the the father of John the Baptist, a priest by the name of Zechariah, and the mother of Jesus, Mary, both respond with fear, which is probably how any of us would respond if we saw an angel, fear. And in both cases, Gabriel reassures the recipients of the vision or of the visit and explains that God is going to overcome impossible human deficiencies to produce their child. And in both cases, he gives a sign to authenticate the message that he's proclaiming to them. So there are many similarities in the stories, but I just want to focus for a moment on some of the differences between these two birth predictions. First, the locations of the visions are different. Gabriel comes to Zechariah when he's in a very important place. He's serving as a priest in the temple of God in Jerusalem. The angel Gabriel comes to Mary, however, when she's in a very small town in Galilee, a a small town called Nazareth. So the locations are different. The responses are different as well. You see, Zechariah, in his response, you see that he's, he's struggling to believe what Gabriel is telling him. Mary, however, is willing to believe it. And then, of course, I want to make the distinction as we start into this text, that the nature and the significance of the two boys will be different as well. John the Baptist will be a prophet who prepares the way for the Lord. And Jesus Christ will be the divine son who himself is the savior of the world. This morning, as we look at verses 26 through 38 and the prophecy given from Gabriel to Mary, I want us to consider again the nature of the birth of Jesus. Luke gives us this announcement in two parts. First, he starts with the setting in verses 26 and 27. So look with me at verse 26. It says, in the sixth month, The angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. At the beginning of this narrative, we're introduced to the two primary figures in it, the two primary characters, Gabriel and Mary. Gabriel is the same angel who just appeared six months before to Zechariah, and now he gives this this prediction to Mary while she's in that little city of Galilee called Nazareth. Nazareth was a little town uh, on the outskirts of Galilee. And I like how R. Kent Hughes described what's going on here. He writes, Mary was a nobody in a nothing town in the middle of nowhere. God sends this vision, or sends this uh, angel in this prediction. But notice in your text how, how Luke further describes Mary. He calls her a virgin betrothed to Joseph, who was of David's house. In the last several hundred years or so, liberal scholars have had a hard time with the understanding here that Mary was a virgin. They insist that this word virgin means something simply like a young woman or a teenage girl. However, this liberal teaching goes against the teaching of historic Protestant Christianity that sees the virgin birth of Jesus as a strong affirmation of his deity. It's best to understand then, instead of this liberal rejection of the virgin birth, to see the clear and accept not only the teaching of Protestant Christianity, but the clear meaning of this text. It's best to understand that God will perform a biological miracle and that in this passage, it will be a fulfillment of some of the prophetic texts of the Old Testament. I think of Isaiah 7 in verse 14, written hundreds, thousands of years before Jesus is born, where it predicts a virgin will conceive. So Luke, in this text, actually gives what I would call a triple affirmation of the virginity of Mary. Verse 27, he does it twice. He does it again in verse 34. And I think that this would be the only way for us to possibly understand Mary's questions later in the text, how it would be possible for her to conceive a child since she was a virgin. It just is mysterious to her. I mean, how can these things even naturally be true since I've never known a man? And so in this greeting, we're introduced to these two figures. You've got Gabriel giving a message to a virgin Mary who's betrothed to a man by the name of Joseph. But then secondly, starting in verses 28 through 38, we come to the birth announcement itself. After learning the setting, Luke records this birth announcement. And the way I think that it's arranged for us is everything is arranged into three different exchanges between Gabriel and Mary. So as we're reading down through the text, we're we're just gonna follow along the text and we're gonna see that it normally starts or will always start with Gabriel saying something or doing something and then Mary responding. So the first exchange starts in verse 28. And here Gabriel welcomes Mary. So look in your Bible. It says, and he said to her, or it says, and he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord, is with you. So now I just want you to imagine again if you were Mary for a moment, imagine being in this little town, Nazareth, in Galilee, in the outskirts of Galilee, and then having an angel appear to you. I'm sure it was quite unsettling to her. But it all starts out so simply here. The angel comes, he gives a simple greeting. This greeting is easy to understand. He says, Greetings, and he ends it, The Lord is with you. That means God's presence or blessing is somehow with you, Mary. In the middle of this greeting, there's actually a part that's very important. He calls her, O favored one. You see that in your Bible? O favored one. Uh, this is a word, or these are words which are related to the word for grace. You have received grace from God. I think this description is very important for a few reasons. Uh, one is that there is a different form of these words, O favored one, in the original, found in some or one translation that the Roman Catholic Church has picked up on. And they'll use it in their prayers to Mary, called the Ave Maria. Have you ever heard of that before? As they pray that prayer to Mary and intercede, they're asking for Mary to intercede for us as sinners. They'll say these words, At at the beginning, O Mary, full of grace, full of grace. However, I think it's better to understand that this, the better reading here is that Mary is not full of grace in that she's like inherently filled with grace in her own merit. But that it's much better to read it as most English translations here in this text would read it that she was, she was favored by God. She found grace. She was the object of God's unmerited grace, not the possessor of it and not one who could bestow it upon others. So Mary here receives this greeting from Gabriel. Gabriel. Gabriel's welcome is, is uh, responded to by Mary in verse 29. So look in your Bible verse 29. It says, but she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. So I just say here, I think Mary responds the way any of us would. She was afraid at seeing an angelic being and she tries to figure out what's going on. Well, her fearful response leads to the second change between Gabriel and Mary in verses 30 through 34. And in the first few verses, Gabriel quickly reassures Mary and then gets right to the birth announcement. Look in verse 30. It says, And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And so after assuring her that things are going to be okay, in verse 31, the angel begins to describe Jesus by making seven predictions about the baby. And these unbabies will begin to progressively reveal to Mary the identity of her child. Among these descriptions, it starts out with this one. Mary will bear a son, and they will call his name Jesus. We learn then just after that that he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. Now, that title, Most High, Is a title that would be used for God himself in both the Old and the New Testament scriptures. It's actually a favorite title of Luke. He'll use it all throughout Luke chapter 1. I found it several times in the book of Acts as well to describe the most high God. I think that Luke actually gets this description from the Old Testament scriptures, and I found it most frequently coming from the mouth of the psalmist David, who loved to refer to God as the most high. As a matter of fact, in our scripture reading this morning, in Psalm 7, verse 17, I referred to a text where David called God the most high. These words, of course, would be used to describe God and were an extravagant description of God, meaning that there was no other person higher than God. He's the most high. So as we're reading down through these descriptions, we'll see that this son that Mary will give birth to, will be the son of the most high God. But then in, verse, in the middle of verse 32 and into verse 33, you get three final descriptions of her son to be. And in these three final descriptions, I believe that Gabriel, the angel, is echoing a promise that God made earlier to King David in the Old Testament Scriptures. This promise is called by many people who study the scriptures, the Davidic covenant. The Davidic covenant where God makes a covenant to King David. I'm gonna invite you to turn back in your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter seven for a moment. These last three phrases I think are Gabriel recalling the promise to David in the Old Testament. So you go back to 2 Samuel chapter seven and and let me just... Read these three final descriptions from Luke 1 again. It says, and the Lord God will give to him, your son, he will give to him the throne of his father David, number one, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. Those three descriptions, I believe, Gabriel's echoing Second Samuel chapter 7. In a moment we'll read through this text, but when you read through those descriptions in Luke 1, one of the things that struck me as I was just reading through them, I, I felt like it was perhaps just a bit repetitive from Gabriel. I mean, he was saying some things over and over again. He says that your son will have a throne, he will reign, and he will have a kingdom. And he follows that up in these prophecies by saying that he will uh, reign forever and there will be no end to his kingdom. So I thought, you know, Why? Why is Gabriel repeating these themes over and over again? I I think one of the reasons would be for emphasis, right? I mean, when you come across a writer of the scriptures and they repeat things, sometimes they're trying to get, make a point. I mean, they, they like don't have like bold and italics fonts. They can't underline text like I've done in my notes or highlight them, but they'll repeat things. So I think that Luke, and as he's uh as he's recording the words of Gabriel here, I think Gabriel's emphasizing something important. Mary, your son will be a king who reigns forever. Did you get it? But I think another reason why Gabriel repeats it so frequently is because it reflects the covenant to David. Look in your Bibles at 2 Samuel chapter 7 and verse 12. We'll just read a portion of this promise that God made to King David. Look at verse 12. It says, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, David, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom for how long? Forever. I'll be to him a father, he will be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men with the stripes of the sons of men, but my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And and, and look at these verses, look at verse 16. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me, your throne shall be established forever. In this text, David wanted to build a temple for God but he's told that his immediate son, who we find out later is Solomon, will build the temple of God instead. But I want you to notice as well that in this this text, especially in verses 16 and 17, you see that God promises that he will establish David's house, his kingdom, and his throne, and that these will be made sure forever, establish them forever and ever. I think going back to Luke chapter one, Gabriel repeats himself in the prediction about Jesus because he has the Davidic covenant in mind. Jesus is the ultimate son of David who will reign and rule forevermore. Go back to that Luke chapter one text. And so as the God man, as the descendant of David, Jesus' life will bring fulfillment to the Davidic covenant, the promises made to David. So as we're working through this exchange between Gabriel and Mary, he gives her an announcement. Your son is going to be special. he will come from the line of David, the, the throne of David. It'll be established forever and ever that leads Mary to ask a very interesting question. Simple question. But look in your Bibles at Mary's second response. Her question, verse 34. How will this be since I am a virgin? I mean, she hears all of this stuff from the angel Gabriel, all the descriptions of her son, seven descriptions that begin to unfold his identity. I'm sure she hasn't figured it all out yet. She's pondering these things later. She's trying to figure them out, but she's got one simple question. How can this be since I'm a virgin? Now, why would Mary ask this question? Well, I think there are a whole host of possible explanations that you could read. Uh, believe me, I read most of them this, this week. Scholars come up with all sorts of different motivations for why Mary would ask this question, but I think what, what, why she asks it here most clearly is she understands Gabriel to be announcing an immediate pregnancy. One that is in no way connected to Joseph or pregnancy through normal means. So she wonders how this is even biologically or how could this even be possible since I have never been with a man. Mary's question leads to one final exchange where Gabriel explains how this is going to happen. Look in your Bibles at verse 35. And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren for nothing will be impossible with God. Mary's explanation, or uh, Gabriel's explanation here to Mary starts out with his explanation that the Holy Spirit and the Most High God will perform a miracle in Mary. They will come upon her, the text says they will overshadow her, that is, they will create a supernatural miracle in her womb to produce a child through extraordinary means. This child will then be called holy, the son of God. But next, although Mary didn't ask for a sign to authenticate this divine act, Gabriel gives her one. Verse 36, look again in your Bible, verse 36, and behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her Who was called Baron. Now, I I think as you're reading in the text, and just before this, I, I don't think that Mary would have known that her relative Elizabeth was expecting. Elizabeth, after finding out about this, actually went into hiding for about six months or so and hid this. So perhaps I believe Mary is finding this out here. Uh, for the first time. So Gabriel reveals to Mary that her much older and formerly barren relative, Elizabeth, would also bear a son. And Gabriel, I think, is doing this to confirm that, that God would do what he said in Mary's life also. Now, one of the interesting things that I find in this text, especially as you read the very next verse, look at verse 37. Verse 37, for nothing will be impossible with God. That, of course, is the reason why Elizabeth can have a child like this. However, as Gabriel recalled the Davidic covenant, remember that? Were you awake for that part? Recalled the Davidic covenant a little bit before, throne of David and all this in 2 Samuel 7. I think with this phrase, Gabriel is echoing the language of another covenant in the Old Testament Scripture. And so I'm going to invite you to turn one last time in your Old Testament Bible to Genesis chapter 18 to see that when Gabriel describes the birth the birth of John the Baptist, he uses language here in verse 37 that reflects the Abrahamic covenant, the promise given to Abraham. All right, and so I want to, look with you at Genesis uh, chapter 18, and I want to read verses 1 through 14. I'll read it kind of quickly here. It says, uh, verse 1, And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre. And as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men. So what's going on here? Abraham gives a visit from the Lord and three men. Perhaps angels unaware. Three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and test yourselves under the tree. While I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourself, and after that you may pass on since you have come to your servant. So they said, Do as you have said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent of Sarah and said, Quick, three seahs of fine flour, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them, and he stood by them under the tree while they ate. Verse 9, they said to him, Where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, She is in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you, and this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself saying, am I, after I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I'm old? Verse 14a. Is anything too hard for the Lord? You know, that phrase could be literally translated according to the Greek translation of the Old Testament. It could be translated this way. Is anything impossible for God? I think Gabriel answers that question. Gabriel answers this very question in the New Testament when he's talking about the fact that a a barren elderly woman, just like Sarah how God miraculously intervened to overcome the impotence in that relationship, how God did that with Zechariah and with Elizabeth. And he answers the question. I mean, there's the question. The question here is, is anything impossible for God? Listen to the words of Luke 1, 30, 37. Nothing will be impossible for God. Nothing. So the nature of Elizabeth's conception was miraculous, miraculous. It mirrors the way that God overcame impotence in the life of Sarah and Abraham in the Abrahamic covenant. And so in the New Testament, you can go back to Luke chapter 1. Go back to Luke chapter 1 for just a moment. We'll wrap this up quickly. So by appealing to both the Abrahamic covenant and the Davidic covenant in his prediction, Gabriel, I believe, could not find more powerful words of expectation and promise to use in these two predictions. These two babies will be miraculous. And although the birth of Jesus Christ is the more profound miracle, right? I mean, there is absolutely no precedent before or after of the the God-man being formed. It's more miraculous. The miraculous pregnancy of Elizabeth is is used to show Mary that indeed you will bear the Son of God. That assurance leads Mary to one final response in verse 38. Men and women, it is a response worth emulating. Look in your Bible at verse 38. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord, Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. While nothing about Mary's previous responses had been wrong, in verse 38, I think you find her brightest moment. Daryl Bach, a commentator in the New Testament, explains, he says, Mary is exemplary in the way she responds to God's message of grace. God can do with her whatever he wishes. You see, Mary's view of God was big. And it enabled her to receive anything that might come from him. See, Mary could have wavered considering all of the possible repercussions of bearing a child out of wedlock in that culture. She could have worried about all the criticism and the condescension that she would face. She could have feared the reaction of Joseph and the loss of her marriage partner. Instead, she submits to God's plan because she knew he could be trusted. Nothing's impossible for God and he would see her through. Perhaps you have been wrestling with some relationship or trial regarding the loss of a job, the loss of a relationship. I pray that you might respond like Mary here with a big view of God, the creative God who can do anything. Might we say, Let it be. Let it be so done to me as the Lord would will. Like Mary here. Perhaps you fear looks of condescension for maintaining a robust faith in Jesus Christ in the workplace or at school. Might you say, bring it on. Let it be to me according to the will of god this morning we have reflected on the promise of one of the greatest miracles of all time and this miracle sheds light on the creative power of our great god do something a little bit different as we as we end this morning i'm going to ask you to respond to two questions if you agree with the question I want you to say amen okay chance for all of us if you're here today and you believed that God worked a miracle to produce Jesus through a virgin birth would you say amen amen, amen. the second question I ask if you're here today and that you and you believe that you can trust God in any life situation that you're currently facing, would you say amen? Amen. Amen. And may God give us a more profound belief in the power and the character of our God that enables us to gladly receive anything that he sends our way. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much for this birth prediction. We thank you, for first of all, for what it reveals about our Savior, Jesus Christ. And if there's someone here who's never believed in the name of Jesus before, we pray that they would see the significance and the mission of Jesus. He came, he died, he rose again so that our sins could be forgiven and so that we could enjoy God forevermore. May they see the significance of the fact that the Old Testament and promises to David and promises to Abraham predicted that a son like this would come to deliver the world. Father, if there are followers of Christ here today who perhaps have been overwhelmed by different events in their life, they lost their job, the relationship changed, things at work are different, uh, bearing persecution at school is difficult, Lord, I pray that they might be reminded that they believe in a God who can perform miracles, a God who produced through a virgin birth the birth of the Son of God. And Lord, since we believe that, I pray that you would strengthen our confidence in the person and the character of God in our own life events as well. I pray that we might leave here today rejoicing and leave like Mary is saying, let it be according to your will. We thank you for our time together. In Jesus' name, amen.